Pastor Ben, and it's my privilege to start our new sermon series, A Candy Cane Christmas, where we are going to focus on Jesus as the Good Shepherd throughout the Advent season, our 40 days of waiting for the King to return, and then Christmas, our celebration that the King came as a little baby. Now, during this holiday season, this is a wonderful time. Right? It's a wonderful time. But that word holiday is a little goofy to me because it's really based off this idea of holy day. And I don't know about you, but when I think of holiness, I tend to think of quiet. I, I tend to think of peace. I tend to think of moments that are just reflective where it's me and God reading my Bible and praying and just kind of having him speak into my heart. But the holidays, many times, don't feel anything like this. If you're like me, the holidays are hectic and busy. It starts off with Thanksgiving, and you're with your family. And if your family is like my family, it's both my parents, my two brothers, and all their families. They're all crammed into a tiny house together, and it is chaotic. It's tumultuous. It's loud. There's a football game being played. There's someone upstairs playing video games. There's people playing board games and card games, and people are yelling and screaming, whether they're happy or angry, right? It's all happening. There's food. There's traditions. It's just wonderful, but it's hectic. There's not a lot of quiet. There's not a lot of holy space, if you will, and once Thanksgiving happens, it just keeps ramping up, doesn't it? Because then there's Black Friday, there's shopping for friends and family, there's a holiday parade, and there's a Christmas concert, and there's that holiday basketball tournament, and you just fill in the blanks. There's holiday stuff, Christmas stuff, constantly until Christmas Eve, and it doesn't even slow down then. Because you have family gatherings then, you have family gatherings afterwards, and the really only time that I think that we even get any moment of peace is New Year's Day. There's that quiet moment of reflection, which for some of you can be pretty scary. Because you know what happens in quiet moments of reflection? We reflect, don't we? On everything, especially New Year's Day, we reflect on the entire year. And depending on how your year went, you might not want to reflect on the year because it might just be a powerful reminder of how challenging this year was. Recently, I've had some of those holy moments, those moments of, of quiet and to reflect. And as I've reflected, I've realized that my family has really gone through it this year. It's been a, a challenging year, and you're probably the same, right? You've probably experienced that call from the doctor that you didn't want, that relationship that broke down, that bill that came in the mail that you weren't ready for, and then the next bill came, and then the bill that had it in red came, Right, there's challenging things that we are going through, that you are going through, and, and, and I'm no different. Now, if you've been here at New Life for a while, we're pretty transparent as a family about our story and what, how God has walked us through a story and the things we've been going through, but it really, the, the tumultuousness of last year started right around this time. My wife and I went in, and we were expecting a baby boy, and so we went into the doctor to have a routine ultrasound, and the ultrasound wasn't what we wanted. They said, we can't find a heartbeat. Now, we left there still with a little bit of hope. We prayed that God would do a miracle. We prayed that the medical professionals were wrong, that they, they read the ultrasound wrong, and we were hopeful, at least a little bit, that maybe God would work. Maybe our story would be of one of a miracle. 
But that wasn't God's plan. And in December, we gave birth to our little baby boy, but he went straight into the arms of Jesus and not into our arms. That started our year. In March, my wife came in and said, I have good news, but she didn't say it like in the past. It was kind of hesitant. Like, I have, I have good news. I'm pregnant, which was exciting, but scary because of our story. And, and there was this little bit of hesitancy because I, I didn't want to go through that again. I couldn't go through that again, but we were excited. and We went off to our first ultrasound. We went into the same room with the same tech as the last time we were there. And we just sat there and just held our breath just hoping there was a heartbeat, hoping that she would say, everything is fine. And she looked at us and she said, everything is fine. And she printed off the little ultrasound and she handed it to us and we went home. And for a moment, we could just take a breath until the next ultrasound, back into the same room, back with the same tech, same thing, held your breath. Please say there's a heartbeat. Please say everything's okay. Once again, everything's fine. They hand you a little picture. Now fast forward, in the summer, we got COVID, my entire family. My kids were good. I had a, a pretty severe sore throat, lost my smell, but I, I wasn't really that heavily affected. But my wife, who was carrying our precious child, she got hit really hard to the point that she couldn't even walk from one room to the other without having to sit down and catch her breath. And it just w was really challenging, and which of course was terrifying because of our backstory and because of our biggest concern was losing another child. We just, we couldn't go through that. And who knows how COVID's gonna affect the child and no one really knew. And the people we talked to really just said, we just have to wait and see. So we got off quarantine. We went back in for another ultrasound. And after holding our breath again, they said, everything looks good as far as what we can tell from an ultrasound. Well, September came around, and as you know, if you've been around New Life for a while, my wife has been the office coordinator for four years, and now she's stepped into a new role of team life director. And so we had, we had these new staff members up here, and we were praying for them. If you were in that service, you remember this very vividly. She was standing right here, and right as we were praying for her, she fell back here and passed out right there, and I was standing right about here. I ran to her, and I tried to talk to her and, and look in her eyes and she was staring past me, right? She was out cold, which of course was terrifying because not just my wife, it's my child and what's going to happen? Is this the moment when the bad thing happens? Because I was always waiting for the bad thing to happen. There was always that apprehension. There was always just waiting for that other shoe to drop. And some of you ran up here, some of our, our medical experts ran up here and took such great care of her. She got off to the ER I preached a sermon. You all stared at me very strangely. We were all in that odd space. I went off to the ER. She was fine. We got the ultrasound. Everything was fine. Then we got closer to November, and that was right around the due date. And we were just wanting this journey to come to a close. Right? We just couldn't deal with it anymore. Just, just let the baby be here so we can know what's going to happen. And so November 1st came, and it was early afternoon. And my wife comes into my office and says, I'm going into labor, which was exciting. And so I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I've got to clean up some stuff and tidy up some things because we're going to be gone for a while and I don't want to leave a mess behind. And so let me clean up and, and then we'll, we'll go to the ER. We'll go to the birthing center. She said, no problem. She sits down. I go to clean. All of a sudden I hear this horrible noise, like screaming like I've never heard before. 
And after a while, I figured out, this is my son. My son is screaming. He does not scream. He's like a boulder, right? He, he's very tough. And so I come around the corner pretty quickly, and there he is. He's crumpled on the ground. And when I get near him, he's reaching out for daddy. He tries to stand up, and he just falls straight back down. He couldn't put any weight on his leg. And so I scoop him up. I put him in my office, and I'm just trying to calm him down because he would not calm down. This goes on for like 20 minutes, and my wife finally comes in and says, hey, I know you're concerned about me, and I know you, you don't want to leave because of that, but you've got to take your son to the ER because I think he broke his leg. So I scoop up my son, I put him in the truck, I drive to the ER, and the ER is an incredibly efficient system if you've been there before. So after about 25 hours of that, no, it wasn't that long, but it, was, it felt like an eternity, they give the x-ray to my son, they realize that he has a broken leg. They put him in the splints, and I'm sitting there, and now I'm getting kind of antsy because my wife is texting me like, hey, um, we're really close here. If you don't mind coming up, you know. That's exactly how she said it. So I'm talking to the nurses and the staff. I said, hey, uh, can I get upstairs because we're really close? No, you've got plenty of time. I'm like, well, I'm texting my wife, and I'm telling you that I don't have plenty of time, so if we could make something happen here, that would be great. And they say, okay, okay, but here's the problem. You can't bring your son up there because we can only be one person with your wife. And if that's going to be you, it can't be him. So my mother-in-law comes and saves the day and gets my son in a wheelchair and takes him outside. And then I run upstairs with 30 minutes to spare to welcome my daughter, daughter Cora Lee, into the world. And in that moment, all that fear and all that apprehension and all that stress melted away. In fact, Ash Ashley, who had had a high heart rate during the entire pregnancy, her heart rate was so high that it was like me running when she was resting. As soon as that moment happened, her heart rate dropped back down to the normal rhythm. You see, there's nothing like a little baby to restore your hope in the world. And during this Advent and Christmas season, there is nothing like the baby, the baby Jesus, to restore hope in our lives. This is how Matthew recounts the story. He says, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. So as Matthew records the good news of Jesus Christ, and specifically the birth and the events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ, he begins by saying, in the time of of King Herod. Now, when he does this, he's not doing this, so we have a, a chronological kind of general area of when Jesus is born, even though it does provide us that. What he's trying to say to his original readers and to us today is this is what the world was like when Jesus was born. You see, if you were a first century Christian and you got a copy of this letter and you were reading it and you read in the time of King Herod, you would know, oh yeah, what he's saying was this was incredibly tumultuous time in the world. Now for us in our modern day, we have to do a little history, right? To understand what in the world Paul is talking about. So let me give you a little bullet point so you can understand what these original readers were reading when they read this. And to, to really understand, we have to go back to 63 BC. And 63 BC is such an incredibly significant date, especially to the Jewish people, because this is when Rome took over. Jerusalem. This is when the foreign invading army and government took control. And basically at this point in time, Rome was ruling the whole known world. Now just imagine what this would be like. 
Imagine your lives if all of a sudden tomorrow or next week Russia comes in or China comes in or some other country comes in and now they rule over us. The money you have, worthless or taken. The stuff you own, maybe taken. Right, everything that you put your hope in, your trust in, it's all gone. Imagine what that would be like. This is what these people were experiencing. The Jewish people had a foreign government who changed everything. There's nothing more tumultuous than that. Well, as time went on, they learned to live in this reality. And then there was a change. In 49 BC, there was a new ruler. His name was Julius Caesar. I'm sure you've heard that that name before. So Julius Caesar becomes the ruler in power. Now, when a new ruler comes, there's hope. Right? Hopefully this new ruler is better than the last ruler. And we get this as Americans because every four years, what do we do? We vote for a new president. So what are we hoping for? We're hoping that all the dysfunction that we see in our lives and our country will be resolved by getting a new ruler, a new leader. And so we look at the last person, we're like, well, we didn't really like what they did. So we'll go in this direction and hopefully this person will be better. Or if they're really good, let's just keep them in power, right? This, this is the game we play. And we have hope that things will be better. And this is what the people hope for, a new ruler, a new way, less turmoil. And for four years, that kind of worked until the senators turned on Julius Caesar. You know this, it's called the Ides of March. And he's assassinated. And this turns their world upside down once again. Anything that was normal equilibrium at this point in time is just destroyed. And they don't just stop at Julius Caesar, they wanna go after anyone who's loyal to Caesar. Now, this is where it really hits home with our story this morning. One of those people that was loyal to Julius Caesar was Herod's dad. And so a year after Julius Caesar is killed, Herod's dad is killed. And in that day, if your dad was the ruler, guess what happens? You become the ruler. But Herod was pretty savvy. And he knew what was going to happen next. He was going to be the next person on the chopping block. And so he gets out of there and he runs away to Egypt. And for 13 years, Rome goes through a civil war. And so the world is just in absolute turmoil until 31 BC. Octavian, which is the stepson of Julius Caesar, he seizes control. Herod, seeing an opportunity, goes to Octavian, befriends him. And I'm sure he probably says, look, my dad was loyal to your stepdad. I'll be loyal to you. And he wins him over, becomes the king over Judea. And then he spends the rest of his life trying to keep everything working and keeping his throne. He's trying to keep the Romans happy. He's trying to keep the Jewish people happy. He's trying to do anything to keep his throne. This is what the time of Herod was like. This is what Matthew was doing. He's setting the stage to let us know that we are reading a story of a moment in history where everything is going haywire. I don't know if you've had a kid recently or thought about having a kid, or even if you back up when you had a kid, maybe you had the thought of like, I don't know if I wanna bring a child into this world. This is what Mary and Joseph would be thinking, but it really wasn't up to them, right? If you had a choice in this moment, you probably wouldn't say, I wanna bring a child into this moment in history because it was tumultuous, it was uncertain, There wasn't a lot to place hope in. Well, Matthew continues. 
Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. So here come the wise men. They go up to the most likely place to find a new baby king. They go to the palace. They knock on the door. They apparently work through some of the underlings and finally get to Herod and say, look, we're looking for the baby boy. We're here to honor him. And what is Herod's backstory? Someone's gonna turn on me sooner or later. And so what they thought they were bringing was hope was actually something completely opposite to Herod. Because Herod had put all of his hope into having the throne. That was his primary focus. And if he had that taken, he had nothing left. But for the wise men, they wanted something more. They apparently had looked at their lives and thought, you know what, I I don't find a lot of purpose here. I don't find a lot of meaning here. It seems like the world is chaotic and we're looking for some hope. And maybe this is the hope we're looking for. And so they follow the star. They follow all the way into this area of the world to find the baby boy. And they think they're bringing a message of hope to Herod. But to, to Herod, it sounds anything but that. And isn't this interesting? Because this same thing happens today where the message of Christ doesn't actually bring hope into everyone's life, even though it could. Because for some people, what they're putting their hope in has nothing to do with Jesus. It's the things they own, the position they have, and they cling on to these things. And if Jesus wants to disrupt any of these things, well, I don't want anything to do with him. Well, Matthew continues. When Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, remembering Herod's backstory, you understand why he's scared. Because in his day, it's just a matter of time before someone comes for the throne. They'll kill him off. They'll run him out. Something's going to happen. And so he is frightened. He's always been kind of on high alert, but this definitely escalates the whole thing. So he brings in the scribes. What do you know? I've heard of the Messiah, right? This is the prediction. I thought it was maybe fanciful, but, but it seems to be happening right in front of my face. So, so where is this baby boy going to be born? And so they tell him. They say, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so has been written by the prophet. And they point him to this tiny little insignificant town that really only has one claim to fame, that there was a shepherd boy turned king who called Bethlehem his hometown, which was King David. And this is where the prophet points us. Now, Herod knows there's many, many, many prophecies about the Messiah, but they point to one very specific one in the book of Micah, given over 700 years before this moment. And this is what Micah said. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. So Micah gives this prophecy. Now, if we back up the 700 years, what's happening in this moment in history, when this prophecy of hope is given, is kind of like in the time of Herod. Life is going off the rails. Nothing's going like people want it to go. In fact, in this moment in time, the Israelites are about to be overrun by the country of Syria. 
And it's into this fear of complete annihilation that this message of hope is given. That someday you will still exist. Someday these people will still be here. And not only will you be here, but you will have a ruler that's gonna bring hope. It's gonna change everything. This ruler will change everything about your life, your people, and the world. But this ruler isn't gonna be like your other rulers. This ruler is gonna be very different. You see, the rulers you know sit on a throne and their, their goal is to get to the highest peak of the mountain so they can rule over you and you can do stuff for them. But this one's gonna be different. He's gonna be a servant king. Specifically, he's going to be a shepherd, which is the exact opposite of a king. Where a king should serve, but mostly gets served, a shepherd is lowly. And all they do is serve. Their job is to protect the flock, watch over the flock, keep safety of the flock, to sacrifice everything, even their life, if it, if it calls that, to protect these animals. And all their tools of the trade point to this. They have a sling so they can chase off the animals they see at a distance that are scary and might hurt the flock, and so they fling rocks at them to chase them away. They have a rod if one of those animals gets up close and personal to, to beat them away. They have a staff, which looks very much like our candy canes, to guide the sheep where they should go when they're getting themselves into trouble. They have a musical instrument to calm the animals down when they're anxious. And when they build enough trust with their flock, they use their voice to guide them on the safe path. Even though the animals never really understand the danger, the shepherd sees the danger and guides them where they're supposed to go. See, I don't know what your holiday looks like. I don't know if you'll have times for reflection. But my guess is if you do, if you have that quiet moment, whether you're reflecting on your year or just kind of thinking through life, you probably have run into a few things that you wish weren't in your year, weren't in your story. You wish that that wouldn't have happened to you or happened to your friend or, or, or you wish you didn't have to journal that thing because it just is ugly and dark and tumultuous and it knocked you off your path and you felt hopeless. But the message that we celebrate this season is a message of hope. Not that God is going to take away all of your problems and everything will be perfect and you'll never experience any pain or sorrow, at least not yet. But the message is that we have a good shepherd who's gonna walk with his flock, which is you and I, through the storms and difficulties of life. Give us peace in times where we have only anxiety. To grab us around the neck when we need to be grabbed by the neck with the staff and led to the right spot. And hopefully we get to the point when we just hear the voice, even though it doesn't make sense to us what he wants from us, we go where he calls us. Because this isn't just any ruler who wants to rule over us. This is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And because of this, we can have hope. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time to study your word, 
to hear your promises once again, your, your promise of hope. And Lord, I don't know everyone's story, but I know a lot of stories in here, and I, and I know it's been a difficult stretch. Whether it's the past year or the past number of years where things haven't quite gone the way that we planned them, expected them, wanted them to go. But Lord, even in our sorrows, even in our hurts, even in our hangups, Lord, we pray that we cling on to you. We put our hope in you, not the things of this world, but, but truly in you. Especially as we continue through this COVID-19 crisis, Lord, we ask that you work. We put our hope in you. We pray for those who are sick, Lord, restore them. For the medical professionals, Lord, give them wisdom. For those going through financial concerns, Lord, provide for them. And those battling mental health concerns, Lord, give them this hope that we all need. We pray for Odessa Carabin as she rehabs from COVID-19, Lord, that you watch over her and restore her. We pray for Lori Von Holten as she battles COVID-19. And we also pray for Pat and Walter Connor as they battle COVID-19. Lord, we ask for their complete restoration. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we also want to lift up those who are sick among us. We pray for Ernie Little as he battles cancer. Frida Last as she goes through rehab. Rick Curley and his health. Margaret Schneiderbauer and her health. Jane Jacoby and her health. Marilyn Hart and her health. Dean Beatty and his health. Mark Sandrock as he battles ALS. Marsha Holt and her heart. Stephanie Wagner and her stroke. Jim Prescott and his health. Lord, for all these individuals, put your healing hand upon them and restore them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we also want to lift up those who are recovering from surgery. We pray for Phyllis Slothauer as she recovers from her hip surgery and also Linda Story as she recovers from her surgery. Lord, we also want to pray for Pat Connor as she looks towards heart surgery. Lord, for the surgeons, watch over them, bless them, steady their hands. And Lord, may these surgeries be effective. May they bring the restoration that we are hoping for. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, at this time, we also want to grieve with those who grieve as you taught us. And so, Lord, we grieve with the Wagner family at the passing of Pat and the Von Holten family at the passing of Roger. Lord, for these families, may they trust in your promises. May they hold on to the truth that this life is not the end, but for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is another life a life without this turmoil and stress and pain and sorrow, Lord. And so, Lord, we do hold on to that hope and we look forward to that. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we also want to stop and say thank you for the ways you have shown up in our lives. So, Lord, on behalf of my family, I want to thank you and praise you for the healthy birth of my daughter, Coralie. We also want to thank you on behalf of Stephanie Wagner as she is cancer-free. And also we celebrate with Chrissy Smith and her family that her recent results, test results were good. And so Lord, we praise you and honor you for that. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Into your hands, Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.